We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hey everyone and welcome back to another edition of Perpetual Chess. This is another adult improver edition for the uninitiated. What that means is we take a break from talking more holistically about chess and focus specifically on improvement, specifically on adult improvement. I know we've got a lot of chess enthusiasts listening, striving to get better, um, and we, we try to find guests who are in the same boat and can kind of point us in the right direction. Um, so this week's guest definitely fits the bill. He's got a popular and fast-growing YouTube channel called Hanging Pawns. Um, his name is Stepian Tomic. Stepian, thank you for joining us. 
Thank you for having me. Live from Croatia. And I'll just to give listeners a little bit more background, I'll read quickly the bio that you share in your YouTube channel, and you can let us know if that's totally up to date. Uh, you say, I'm sure. a chess player who started his career late by any standards. I played my first rated tournament game when I was 26, 18 months ago. Since then, I've decided to dedicate my life and time to chess and make it possible to travel to tournaments and have enough money to do so. My ultimate goal is to work daily until I become a grandmaster, which will surely take years to accomplish. All the games I play, how I prepare for my opponents, and the methods I use to learn will be posted on this channel. Is that uh, still accurate? Everything in there? That's accurate, apart from the fact that it was more than 18 months ago now. It was two and a half years ago now. Yeah, I know how it is with updating the websites. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and your peak rating now is approaching 1900. So it looks like you're making good good progress and your videos on YouTube are fantastic. Um, Shout out to Chess Reddit for making me aware of your presence. Um, But yeah, you, you guys in Croatia, as we were talking a little bit before we started recording, you know how to do Chess YouTube. Yeah, that's probably a coincidence. I'm not sure because uh, before Antonio, aka Agad Matar, started, nobody really did YouTube in in Croatia, not only in chess but in general. And after he started, that's, there seemed to be a growing popularity for for chess and for YouTube as well. So, hence, I'm here. Yes, and and the chess world is is better for it. So, so you talk about you obviously. <clears throat> comes across quite clearly in your videos. You've got a burning passion for chess and you're working really hard on it. But before we we get to that, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, where you're from in Croatia and how you discovered chess? Uh, I'm from Zagreb, Croatia. That's that's the capital. And uh, the the story about how I discovered chess is actually funny. Uh, About three years ago, I was uh, doing my master's degree in Poland and I was uh, trying to get a PhD there. And... uh, when I was there, there was a bar called I Hate Mondays, where people used to play chess on Sundays. And uh, I started playing with the guys there. I knew the rules of the game. And uh, after I came to Zagreb, I wanted to start playing chess. And uh, I googled chess clubs Zagreb online. I found two websites which were made in, ni- in the 90s, probably. And uh, I found one. Sorry? No, sorry. You go ahead. Yeah, I found one address from a local chess club in Zagreb. I came there and it turned out to be an Italian company. They just blew me off. Uh, There was no chess club. And after that, I was walking through one of the main streets in Zagreb and they knew that the chess federation was there. So I passed by the door. There were two guys in front of the building and I said, do you play chess here? They said, yeah. And they came upstairs and there were 50 people playing a blitz tournament and I felt like a kid in a candy store. I just couldn't believe it. And ever since then, I, I... just wanted to play chess throughout the whole day. And basically, I, I met a guy who became my coach. Uh, I joined uh, the club he was uh, the president of, and we started working together. So that that's the story. Yeah, so just c- discovered it by happens- happenstance, and like a lot of us, you were sort of bitten by the bug. It sounds like chess is uh, pretty popular there in Zagreb uh, relative to the population. I know, uh, I know that it's not, you know, Croatia is a pretty small country. Well, Croatia is a pretty small country, but uh, Zagreb makes up for the quarter of the population. And I wouldn't really say that chess is popular. People have been working on popularizing the game. But I'd say there are about 500 chess players in Zagreb, which is a pretty small amount uh, considering the the population. But I, I would say it's becoming more and more popular. Yeah. Okay. And so once you discover the game... Oh, by the way, what were you studying in Poland? What was What was your master's in? 
I have a master's in medieval archaeology and uh, I do Slavic studies, basically burial rites uh, among Slavic peoples. Wow, that that sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, okay, so, but we'll... I mean, I'm I'm interested in that, but but we'll stick <laughs> we'll stick to chess. Um, so once you're bitten by the bug and you have a coach, uh, how do you take it from there? Like, uh, I saw your first rating on FIDE was, I believe, in the neighborhood of 1700. But had you been, um, was that sort of your initial strength, or had you done some work even to get to that rating? No. Well, the story is that uh, when I when I discovered the the club and joined the club and started playing chess, it was late February of 2016 and uh, I played my first tournament in May and I didn't really want to play the tournament it was actually the uh, team cup finals Croatian team cup finals which is a very strong tournament and you play it on four boards boards four are usually 1900 or 2000 and two days before the tournament Mate, my coach at the time called me and said do you want to play the chess cup and I said yeah why not I've never played a tournament game I, I knew basically no theory I I hadn't really been preparing my opening repertoire and I was studying the, the strategy and positional chess and tactics and we came to Mali Loshin which is an island in Croatia and uh, I was some of the one guy that couldn't that should have played couldn't come and I basically turned up as a substitution I played six games and I scored half a point out of the six, six games, uh, hence my rating of 1693 as mm-hmm. an opening rating. But uh, in uh, in round one, I just lost horribly. In round two, I was a knight up and I had a completely winning position against the 1950 and managed to get checkmated. Round three, I drew and then un- unluckily, I, I lost the other three games. I could have had a slightly bigger opening rating if I had won round two. It would have been around 1900, I believe. But yeah, perhaps perhaps it's good that it turned out to be so small because I got to progress to up to where I am now. Well, you say that it's small, but for for someone who's playing their first tournament, I actually think that that's that's pretty strong. Had you been had you been working on your chess um, much building up to that? Had you already read a fair amount of books and stuff like that? No, no. By that point, I haven't read a single book and uh, I was just trying to understand the game because my perception of chess before February 2016 was, oh, that's a fun game. And I I played it once or twice with one of my best friends when we were out. And uh, in February, I I started taking the game seriously and I didn't really want to... uh, uh, put any dogmas in my head yet or any subjective opinions which uh, the, the chess writers might have. So I started looking at the board and thinking about uh, chess for the first two months. And I started to think about openings before I knew any theory because I wanted to figure out what the principles were for myself. And I was basically forced to learn theory in May. Otherwise, I would have taken another three or four months just to help me understand the game. Gotcha. Yeah, it's good that you had that perspective. I often I often tell people that the the chess in its purest form to me, it, it, there's nothing more beautiful than when you discover it and you haven't read anything about it because yeah. because then you're forming the ideas yourself and they might be you know in my case as a kid of course the ideas were were quite flawed but you know I remember 
thinking that I discovered Fian Kettowing a bishop, you know, like, <laughs> like, and there's, there's no substitute for that feeling like, oh, you, and you try something and it works and you try something else and it doesn't work and you sort of start to formulate a strategy and then you get your first book and it's like, oh, wait, I have absolutely no clue what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. That, but the difference is that obviously I was 26, so I, I knew that I will be surprised and I, I took that road uh, because I wanted to, and uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to burden my mind with all of that before before I made the mistakes myself. If you know what I mean, I I, I knew that there was tons of tear behind the behind the game, but I didn't want to do any of that before I understood it. Basically, I had no time to understand it. But yeah, right. Good for you. And it seems like with a sort of with an academic background, maybe you had a you had um, good training for thinking about uh, how to study something. Well, the the thing is that uh, uh, when I when I decided to play chess seriously, I thought about one thing: uh, what advantage does a child have over me? And uh, uh, basically, anybody who becomes a grandmaster these days has started playing chess when he was five, and the only advantage they have over me is that they have an empty head and they don't have to worry about stuff like money or education or my girlfriend or right. my parents or whatever. So, and my brain should be equally good as theirs, if not better, because I'm it's fully developed. So I couldn't really fi- find the downside, and I realized that the only thing I need to do in order to get better at chess is to clear my head of other things. So yeah. That's that's a that's an interesting perspective. I, I would say I mostly agree, especially because you're what twenty eight years old. Is that right? I I just turned twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay. Yeah. And the, you know, I mean, the the research I would say on this is somewhat unsettled, but it looks like uh, in terms of the the brain studies that have been done, they think that that a chess player peaks around thirty one or something like that. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, who knows? I mean, I I don't think uh, it's hard to isolate all of the circumstances, but I mean, anecdotally, it does seem that that uh it gets a little harder on certainly south of of 40 but luckily lucky for you you're still uh young and energetic um (laughs) uh with most of your brain cells intact so (laughs) so once you once you do decide okay this is something i want to take seriously uh how do you um how do you and once you are cracking books and formally studying how do you um structure your your study plan well, I, I basically made a nine-year plan for chess. Holy, and, well, holy uh, crap, that's impressive. Yeah, I, I made a nine-year plan, and uh, on at the end of year nine, I'm supposed to become a grandmaster, and uh, I decided not to not to worry about uh, rating until I reach uh, the FIDE master title, and I just wanted to learn as much as possible. And then the next thing I had to do is I needed to structure my working hours and what I did for money because that's a huge issue when you're my age in Croatia. And uh, the main thing I needed to do was uh, try to put aside enough time for chess every day. So I basically did a plan according to which I'm going to study between one and four hours every day uh, for the next nine years, which should amount to enough time to, to, to become a grandmaster eventually because everything I... I I did research on indicated that I that I won't be needing more than forty thousand hours. Yeah, that's interesting. So, did you read a lot of the sort of peak performance literature? Uh, uh, I, I read a lot of uh, psychology because I thought this would be the most relevant. Uh, because uh, usually people will uh, stop uh, stop 
improving on something because of a psychological problem. So I wanted to get that out of the way at start. And I started working on uh, how to deal with defeat. And I basically started reading Stoicism uh, to help me improve because I thought it was the most important thing. I, I didn't really... I structured my chest training as well, obviously, but I wanted to get rid of all the possible obstacles before they appeared in front of me. That Wow, that's um, that's good uh, perspective on your part. And I know that you, you did a good YouTube video about how to deal with defeat. So I'll, I'll link to that in the show description and people can check it out. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll circle back to it in a few minutes. But, sure. but uh, one, one question I, um, I had for you is, so we're, we're about three years into the nine-year plan by, by my math. Have, mm-hmm. have, have there been any moments yet where you felt like abandoning it? Uh, yeah, but not really because of chess. Uh, the thing is that in order to be able to, to to play more and become a grandmaster, I need to free up my time. And the the biggest part of my plan is uh, becoming fi- financially independent and not having to work for a living. So uh, the thing is that if you, if you want to become a grandmaster, once again, coming back to, to, to children who play chess, if you are nine years old, then you can play two tournaments a month and you don't have to worry about money nor your time. And on the other hand, I, I need to work for 50 hours a week and I need to have money in order to go to tournaments. So I wanted to give up sometimes because of that, because it felt like it's too hard. Yeah, not because of chess. I, I was really I really struggled with defeat at start. I almost cried once. I did cry once uh, and it was it was rough, but I never thought of giving up. The only the only time those thoughts came to my head was when I thought it's going it's, it's going to be too hard to to have enough time and money to play chess. Yeah, I mean, 50 hours a week working and a YouTube channel and your actual chess and a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that, uh, that sounds like a lot. But but tell us about I mean, not to not to harp on such a dark moment. But I mean, we can I think uh, everyone can relate to chess making you cry. So so let's hear the story. <laughs> what happened? But it's it's the game I already mentioned game two in the of video. The first okay, tournament. yeah. No, 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 it's the, oh. no, 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 in the video, but uh, I, when the, when I played the Croatian chess cup, uh, my first tournament, I was playing a 1950 opponent. I was a knight up. I outplayed him in the semi-slav, even though I misplayed the, the opening a bit. And then I was basically a piece up. I just had to convert. I had a winning tactic minus six or minus seven. And, uh, I, I didn't even miss mate. I just let him mate me. And uh, after that, I was crushed because I basically lost two of my games uh, at start at the start of my career, and they should have won game two. So I was devastated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the thing is that nobody really understood what I was upset about. Another thing is that once you start doing anything when you're a child, you get you get used to it, and I wasn't used to it. Yeah. I mean, it takes getting used to, but it never completely goes away. I mean, for for me, I I don't get to compete that often, but the the visceral reaction is the same. It's more that I have sort of built the sort of uh, you know layers. I have the layers in place to sort of realize that it's not that big a deal when you're when yeah. you're a kid. It, I think that's harder, and that that, that kind of uh, dovetails into a, a question that was sent in from a supporter of the podcast, uh, Bradley. Uh, I have, oh man, sorry, Bradley, I'm about to butcher your name, but, uh, we're going to try it. Bradley, uh, you, Perry or Juo Perry. I apologize. I don't know how the, the J U O is pronounced, but anyway, question from Bradley and thanks for the support, Bradley. 
He says, um, I have a, as a fellow adult beginner who played their first rated game at age 35, what hurdles or thinking processes are unique to adult beginners versus kids making the rating climb? For example, my chess coach mentioned he finds his scholastic students playing too aggressively while I play too passively, overreacting to empty threats. Huh. Well, is that a question or, or a statement? I, I both, think it- yeah. I think it's a statement because, and I think it's fairly obvious why. I mean, you've been through life already. Right. <laughs> and there's nothing more to it. I, I mean, you, you have a different thinking process while playing the game, and you're aware of uh, dangers that young players aren't aware of. I would say that's that's the case most often. And uh, as an adult, you, you take the game much more seriously if you do take it seriously, and then you aren't willing to risk as much as the kids are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a similar dynamic to just like, you know, I have a my my younger kid is going to turn three and obviously left to her own devices. She would just like sprint into the street, you know. So yeah. um, so the the corollary for chess is just like, you know, kids just they just want to they want blood. They just want to they just <laughs> want to attack for the most part. I mean, and I'm a chess teacher, so I see it a lot. There, of course, are kids with a more conservative instinct, but but it's uh it's um the exception rather than the rule i would say so yeah, yeah. um i i think that, that that's uh spot on um and in terms of thinking processes that are unique to adult beginners versus kids making the rating climb um i don't know i my personal perspective is maybe there's more self doubt um i think uh i don't know um I would say that there's uh, less competitiveness among adults. Obviously, if you're if you're a child starting out chess, then you are going to have classmates and clubmates and whatever. There's going to be twenty of you who are going to be competing against against each other, and you're going to have a lot more people to compare to. And as an adult, you're going to be the only one. I mean, I'm probably one of the very few people who've started playing chess this late in Croatia, and I have nobody to compare to. It's really hard. So. You, I, I think that you shouldn't really look at your rating. If you're a late uh, a, a late beginner, you should just focus on on beating yourself every day. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Um, okay, so we're gonna get into the meat of talking uh, chess improvement now, Stepjan. So I, by the sure. way, you did a a great video that I will also link to. That um, I think uh, pretty much. It kind of synthesizes what we're looking for. Um, you, you have a video called How to Study Chess, Chess Meditations. And yeah. I, I want to talk about YouTube channel later. But, you know, you do a good job of sort of synthesizing what you believe to be the most important practices. But the way we usually tackle it here on the Adult Improvement Series is I just I'm going to we're going to discuss a few ways to study. And you're going to give me your opinion about how useful they are or are not on a scale of uh, one to ten. So. Sure. Uh, you mentioned you had a coach uh, earlier, and I don't know if you do now, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how important do you think it is to have a coach? Uh, Chess-wise, <clears throat> if you if you train regularly, it's very important. I'm not that fortunate, and we only manage to, to meet once a month on either, or even uh, more rarely. And uh, psychologically, it is very important. I would say psychologically is probably 7 out of 10. And chess-wise, if you train regularly, 8 out of 10. If you don't, then 1 out of 10. But it's very important to have the support he could give you or she could give you. And I would say that's extremely important because as an adult, when you're studying something and doing something new, nobody really cares. 
So to to have a coach when you are 29 or whatever, it's it's fascinating. And my coach is younger than I am. He's actually 24 now. So I feel, well, I feel like somebody cares for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is important. And it's such a solitary pursuit that it's almost like, even if they just function as a psychologist, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that alone has value. And for listeners... Uh, who I mean, I think a, a lot of you may have coaches or at least have explored it. But of course, there's all the great guests we've had on the show. But I also just wanted to mention that uh, Lee Chess and Chess.com both have coaches pages. And, uh, you know, they're not that expensive, but here in the Skype age to, to get a Skype coach. So um, I think it's, it's definitely worth doing um, if you're serious about your chess as you are. Okay, yeah. uh, next up, analyzing your own games. Oh, 10 out of 10. The, there's probably nothing more important, in my opinion, because the only way to improve is to correct your mistakes. And if you don't analyze, you won't find them. I think it's crucial because, especially if you have a narrow opening repertoire, uh, by analyzing your own games, you're going to improve rapidly and you're going to find ideas which uh, you normally wouldn't. And I think what, one of my favorite methods is to look at my own game, find the first mistake or the first inaccuracy or the first inaccuracy in the opening, and then take 10 Grandmaster games from the same position and write an essay on why they played what they played and why did I make my mistake. And uh, I, I think that helps a lot. And I've found my opening repertoire has solidified a lot because of that. Yeah, So I would say this is the most important thing. That is an awesome idea that I've never heard before because, yeah, the act of writing writing down your thought process, I mean, it, it kind of makes an indelible print. Uh, yeah. did, you, did you come up with that idea on your own? Yeah, yeah I did. And it it's also makes it easier to prepare for, for games because if you, if you see an opponent, let's say I, I play the Semislav and I, I'm preparing for an opponent who plays uh, E3, and then queen to c2 then i'm going to take my essays out and read what i which mistakes i've made in the last games and it's going to be much easier to correct them that's really really a, a great idea and do you do you use engines when you analyze your games no i, I don't i only turn it on uh, at start at the end of my analysis and then i th that's another another essay i will write uh, most often and then i will uh, tell myself where I went wrong, even though I thought about it for an hour. And that's where the engine comes in. Otherwise, I don't use it. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a um, good approach as well. All right. Uh, online Blitz, what do you think? Uh, I think I should, shouldn't should play it as much. Uh, the problem is that I I, I use online, online Blitz uh, the way I used Seinfeld before, <laughs> as something to relax me, and then I, I will just... Uh, play a game not thinking about it, lose it or win it and not care. But I actually think it, it makes your chess uh, stagnate if you play too much because you will rely, rely too much on your intuition and you will not improve. Uh, if if you analyze every single Blitz game you play, then okay, it might be a great learning method, but I don't and I don't have enough time for that. So I would, I would advise people not to play Blitz chess if they want to improve. It could be in your free time. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's good. That's good advice. I mean, um, yeah. It all comes down. It's garbage in, garbage out. If like we had a guest, Alex King, who treats his 
treats his blitz games almost like tournament games. I mean, he has rules mm-hmm. in, he has rules in place for uh, when to analyze the, for analyzing the games before playing another set, or at least making sure he analyzes all the blitz games he plays within a week. And it's really mm-hmm. a, a good way to build out your opening repertoire. But but like you say, if you're just passing time, um, time is a pretty precious resource. So of course it's fun, but probably good to have some uh some personal rules in place yeah um, okay uh watching elite tournaments online uh if you don't play the game over the board and think about the moves then i would say two out of ten because yeah. you don't get involved but if you analyze the game uh along with the players then it's very useful and uh it's it can be as useful as analyzing yes. grandmaster games. so it all all comes back to active versus passive learning yeah i mean if if you if you watch the game in bed on youtube then i mean you won't get much from it but if you have your board next to you and you write down your ideas and think about the opening then it's very useful obviously yeah okay next up studying openings uh up to some point 10 out of 10 afterwards one out of 10 i believe that everybody should build an error repertoire which could get them past the opening phase and make sure that they don't lose in the first 15 moves after that i would say uh, strategy positional chess tactics and then in the end game are way more useful yeah that's good that's interesting to hear because I noticed you had a lot you've got a lot of youtube videos on openings but mm-hmm. is that more uh is that more done from a sort of a content creation perspective or is that uh, based on work that you're doing on your, for your own game? Uh, well, actually, my, my repertoire is uh, very narrow and uh, I only play the Karokan against D4. I play the Semislav or the Grunfeld against D4. I play the C6. I play C6 against the English and D5 against Knight to F3 and I only play E4. But I wanted to record every single opening in chess because when I started playing chess, I went to YouTube as my first resource, tried to find some opening videos and I got very upset because everybody either talks for an hour about nothing or the videos are too complicated too in-depth or too simple so you can either get uh, a 100 uh, a one a 1000 rated video for players who are rated 1000 or or a grandmaster video which are both useless for for players of my level or you can listen to something for an hour and not get anything out of it so i wanted people to have a simple 20 minute video in which they are going to see what the opening is about and that's it i basically i'm making all of these videos because i'm frustrated and i want people to be happy when they write down i don't know austrian attack in the peers they see the variation and that's it they, they don't have to listen to me talk about the weather or whatever and they can just get on with, with their lives that's interesting I, yeah and I, like i said i i definitely am eager as a content creator myself to talk about your YouTube channel and we'll, we'll get back. We'll get back to that because I, I do, I think you're onto something. Um, okay. Uh, but next up in terms of uh, how important it is for chess improvement, what about uh, exercise step What do you think? I think 10 out of 10. Uh, yeah. I, I, I basically, when I started playing chess, I've been on and off uh, exercising, but for the most part I've exercised regularly and I've, I lost weight, not a lot of weight. I, I was never fat, but I'm in great shape now. And I only do it because of chess. I wouldn't normally. So I, I believe it's very important to stay fit because when you're sitting over the board next to a guy who has 200 pounds and you're fit and you just ate broccoli and he just had four hamburgers, then you're going to win regardless of your play. So if you can get an advantage over your opponent, then you should. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny how many guests we've had who who uh, they exercise like specifically because of chess, which is well, you should. I mean, I mean, your your games can last five, six, seven hours, uh, and I, I work for well. Everything combined, I have to be uh, active and working for 16 hours a day. And I find that if I'm not exercising for two or three weeks, then I can't really do it. And I have trouble uh, resting and I have trouble working. When I'm exercising regularly and eating healthy food and uh, doing everything right, then I'm up for 16 hours every day working and I don't feel it. I'm never tired. So it's very important. Um, Not only for chess, but to improve at chess. Yeah. I'm really going to have to pull out the Excel spreadsheet when this interview is over and add up your time stepping because I don't know how you do it. You're exercising too. <laughs> I, I can describe one of my uh, working days to you. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I wake up between 5.30 and, and 6. Then I drink tea or, or whatever, a shake. And then I exercise until 7.30 or 8. Then I shower, go to the office, I work. Then I come home or stay at the office and from around 5 to 8 p.m. I record my video and prepare for it. I will be done around 9 perhaps and then I work on my chess and then I go to sleep. Sounds like you got an understanding girlfriend. Yeah, she's wonderful and we've actually had a conversation the other day. I said that I overheard somebody say somewhere on YouTube that chess uh, chess players are, are really hard to be with and I can completely understand that. Yeah. Luckily, we work together, so it's it's okay. We see each other, and we're together for eight hours a day. So you can't really feel that. But if we worked in different companies, then it would have been really rough. Yeah, that, that, <clears throat> I'm sure that that does make a difference. Yeah, and I'm certainly I've I've had chess players email me and say, you know, does it cause a strain on on your relationship? Which, yeah, I mean, certainly we've had guests who've who've had that issue. Um, I mean, yeah, it's hard to understand this obsession. I mean. Uh, the same way I can't understand how somebody can not be obsessed with chess. <laughs> right. It goes both ways. <laughs> okay, next up, uh, studying endgames. Very important and uh, endless, even though it seems finite, it's really not. And uh, I would say that once you grasp the basics, I don't know, the knight and bishop checkmate, the Lucina position and all the other, the rule of the square and the normal stuff you get in every chess book, then you should play at least one rook and pawn end game a day just to give yourself enough practice because I don't know, rook and three against rook and four can never be mastered and grandmasters, 2,800 players mess it up sometimes. So it should be practiced constantly just to keep yourself in shape. And I would say it's 10 out of 10. If you manage to survive uh, until an end game and basically most end games are resolved and if you were a computer, you would know whether it's a draw or a win. And if you're not able to assess that position correctly, then you're just going to lose. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. So where do you, do you just like, where do you, excuse me, where do you get the position for the uh, the rook and pawn end game that you practice each day? I just take any random game. I just look look at the games that were played the previous day, wherever in the world, whichever rating, and I will just take two or three end games which seem interesting and analyze them, try to play them out myself. Okay. Um, and what about studying Grandmaster games generally? Uh, I'd say that's very important to get ideas and to improve your chess in general, but there are more useful method- methods. I would say 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10. I, it's really fun uh, along with being useful, so it makes it one of the easiest training methods. 
and you can discover a lot of things which you couldn't on your own. So that that's what makes it great. If you study, firstly, if you study openings with an engine, then you are not going to have any ideas at all. If you study the opening by yourself, then you're you're going to be playing bad openings. And Grandmaster Games can help you uh, can help you give get ideas which the engine wouldn't necessarily recommend. That's that's the great thing about their games. And in the middle game, you are going to be able to memorize patterns and improve your pattern rec- recognition, which is going to help you when you play your own game you're going to suddenly think of think of something you saw in a game half a year ago and you're going to play a great move yeah so i think it's very important yeah i i agree okay and i i saw you mention this in your video but you might as well uh share it here what do you think about watching uh, online videos oh once again if if you don't do it actively uh, pausing the video and analyzing positions, it's almost useless and it should be something you do at your in your free time because if if you're not uh, if you're not studying along with the video, nothing will stick really and it's as if somebody were telling you a, a bedtime story you will remember something but you won't really understand stuff and I think if if you do watch online videos and I have a YouTube channel so I trust me, this is true. You can watch five hours of online video and not get anything out of it. On the other hand, you can watch a 10-minute video, analyze along with the video for an hour and become 20 rating points better. So I would say YouTube videos, if you just play them out and fall asleep, one out of 10, if you play over the stuff that somebody is analyzing over the board, then it varies. It could be 10 out of 10, depending on the quality of the video. Yeah, okay. Um, Excellent. All right, so that wraps up um, the facets of the game, the ways to approach studying. Um, and again, I'll just, for listeners, I mean, you should check out, I'll, again, I'll link to, to your How to Study Chess video, but I'm just going to read your bullet points just so listeners can sort of have a holistic view of uh, your approach. So you say, number sure. one, number one, analyze <laughs> games. Number two, solve tactical and positional problems. Yeah, we forgot to discuss tactics, so we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, number three, read books and analyze along with them. Number four, study the end game and solve problems. Number five, study openings and build a repertoire. Number six, play practice games and analyze them afterwards. Number seven, play blindfold chess. And number eight, watch chess videos and analyze along with them. So uh, I don't know how I missed it, but what about tactics? Like how, how are you approaching those? Uh, try to solve as many as possible, basically. The, I think it's one of the most efficient methods to improve a chess because it will improve your chess in general. And solving endgame tactics is going to help you. Is going to help your middle, middle game and your openings. You're going to develop a feel for for strategy and positional chess as well. Because if there's a tactic in the position, you are going to be able to become aware of it sooner if if you've solved many tactics. So. This should definitely not be overlooked. And if I had time, I would solve 100 a day because I, I see that they are improving my chess rapidly. Right. Um, and do you primarily use tactics trainers or books or what? Uh, whatever I, I can get. I uh, My favorite method is that I, I try to look at Grandmaster games and I set them on move 20 and I try to look for tactics. And one one out of every 20 or 30 games will have something interesting. I usually pick move 20 as a random move in the middle game. And very often I will find tactical opportunities which the players have missed. I obviously use games from players rated in between 1900 and 2300, not uh, not super grandmaster games. And if I don't have time for that, then I will just go on leeches or on chess.com or use tactic books. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Um, let's... And- 
uh, piggybacking off of that, let's talk about resources. So we have another we have another by resources. I mean, like your favorite study tools. So we have another question from a supporter of the podcast. It's a two part question, but I'm just going to read the second part now because the other part has to do with your YouTube channel. So we'll get back to it later. So sure. this is from Daniel Gell. Um, he asks, uh, do you have any and do you have any book recommendations on puzzles for calculation? I'm trying to improve that area of game. So I'm curious what, which resources you use. So you mentioned the tactics trainers. Are there any specific books you would highlight? No, the, when it comes to calculation, I would definitely have only one recommendation, and that's Think Like a Grandmaster by Kotov. Uh, that's nothing will improve your calculation and your tactics better. I, I think that, well, have you read that book? Many, Just many so. years ago, yeah. Okay, so he basically explains how to calculate and how to, uh, how to approach the position correctly without wasting too much time or pondering about the position generally without really making any progress. So when it comes to calculation, his book is just a gem which you shouldn't miss. And yeah, and tactics, I don't really remember the names. They're, they're basically called chess tactics or chess tec- tactics from the Sicilian or whatever. There are hundreds of books and they're all good. You can't really point one out because they're all the same. They use tactics from real games. Just make sure that you get a book uh, which isn't 20 years old when they didn't have engines because sometimes there could be mistakes there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And and Daniel, there have been some other recommendations. Like, of course, we've had a couple guests highlight the CTR DVDs, which are kind of a nice, nice way to go to go through. And if I recall, Daniel's like, similar to your your level chess wise. Um, okay. Beyond that, there's the Mikhail block classics, which you mentioned, there might be a couple errors in that one. But I mean, it's, it's uh, a lot of grandmasters have put in their time with that book. So and the John Nunn chess puzzle book is pretty challenging. But good. Uh, there's there's just so many, and of course, um, I know that I think it was Vinesh Ravuri, another adult improver guest. Uh, he he was not a big a, as big a fan of tactics trainers as tactics from books. But I think as long as you treat them seriously, um, either one is good. All right. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned in in one of your videos that you read one about one chess book per week. So we got to get some other book recommendations from you too. What would you recommend besides <laughs> uh, Think Like a Grandmaster? Uh, well, definitely my system by Aaron Imcevic. I, yeah, so everybody should, should read that book. Uh, I would recommend, uh, Talbot Vinnick, 1960. That's a wonderful book. Uh, uh, the Meran and Anti-Meran and Moscow and Anti-Moscow by Alexei Drev. Uh, not because you have to necessarily play the Semislav, but because Alexei Drev really has an interesting style and he can help you understand uh, the opening well. Uh, there was one book I read, uh, The Rules of Winning Chess by Davis, in which he basically he wrote a novel on how to go about preparing for a game from start to finish. Uh, let's see, uh, Dvoretsky Send Games, definitely. Uh, ooh, one more, which I shouldn't miss. Um, John Nunn's middle game book, it's called Under- Understand the Middle Game, or something like that. Uh, a bit lower level, uh, Yasser Seyravan's middle games, it's called Winning Middle Game Positions, or Winning the Middle Game. Uh, let's see, Attack with Mich- Mikhail Tal, have I mentioned that one? No. Uh, yeah, and if you don't mind uh, emphasizing lower level a little bit more, because I, I do feel like sometimes I neglect uh, the sort of below 1500, 1600 
um, set. Um, I think that we end up with a lot of uh, high level recommendations, but not as many. So when you, what were some of the, when you first got into chess, um, which, which books help you the most? You mentioned my system and that one comes up a lot, although it's not my personal favorite. I find it too dry, but, uh, what else helped you? Uh, even Sokolov's winning chess middle games, uh, it's, it's a weird choice perhaps, but he basically went on to, uh, to explain, uh, many doubled pawn, pawn positions, which helped me a lot. Uh, then, uh, concise chess middle games by McDonald. That's a great one. Uh, my Great Predecessors by, by Kasparov, obviously, 60 Memorable Games by Fisher helped me a lot. I think My Great Predecessors would be a great book for beginners uh, because, well, it's it's great to learn chess trivia along with chess and that's, that might help you improve. Uh, let's see. Uh, I read one book. I'm, uh, wait. Yeah, I read Silman's books. I read his complete book of chess strategy that helped me a lot. Uh, wait. Yeah, there was a book called Grandmaster Preparation. Uh, I'm not sure what the author was. I think it's Hansen or something Danish or Scandinavian. It was called Grandmaster Preparation. It's a great book. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember anymore. I'm sorry. I've also read tons of opening books on the Karo Khan and, uh, and the, the Semislav. So, listeners, you can tell that uh, he's not bluffing when he says he reads an opening book a week. That was a uh, that was an impressive uh, array of recommendations, and I'll um, I'll link to them all in the show description. So, pick and choose what you guys like. And you mentioned in the video how you get these books, Stepian. Why don't you uh, let our listeners know what your approach is for that? No, I'm not sure I mentioned that actually. I can't remember mentioning that. I think you didn't. You say something about like you get them around town. You just sort of uh, look. For oh yeah, yeah, I, I have. Uh, it's, those are called antiquariat in Croatian. It's basically an, an antique shop which only sells antique books, secondhand books. I'm not sure if you have that uh, in the states, but basically uh, their business model is that they buy books of people who want to sell books, and then they sell them for a margin. And uh, I will go around town and most of those book uh, bookshop owners know me. And whenever a new chess book comes in, then they let me know. And uh, yeah, I, I go by every shop once a week and see whether they got something I don't have yet. And I've also, I've bought a lot of books from one Fide Master, uh, an elderly gentleman in Zagreb. Uh, he had a big collection and, it, and he sold it very cheaply to me. I bought around 100 books from him. That's great. Yeah, and you mentioned that you you want to build a library, so you're not you're yeah. not discarding them when you're done. No, no, no. I, I, my dream is to have like a big chess room with ten tables and uh, shelves with lots lots of books and comfortable leather chairs for people to sit in and a bar or something and a pool table. I, I mean, yeah, it's that fantastic. sounds awesome. Is that included in the nine year plan? Is that? <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's after that. Okay. Uh, yeah, that does sound pretty nice. Um, okay, so I think we've we've gotten a good taste of your improvement uh, philosophy. I have to say, uh, Stepan, you're you're an inspiring guy. I mean, uh, the amount of work you're putting in and the systematic approach, I think, is something people can can definitely benefit from. Um, Thank you. Um, it, it's it's pretty cool. But and I do want to talk about your YouTube channel a little bit, just because. Um, you know, it's it seems like it's doing pretty well. Um, so you're up to to nine thousand subscribers. When or you know thereabouts. When did you launch the channel? Uh, it was February 2018. Uh, a little more than a year ago. Yeah. 
Okay. And uh, getting back to the other half of the question from Daniel Gell. And again, thanks for the support, Daniel. Always appreciate it. Um, he says, I see that you have a successful YouTube channel owning in on 9,000 subscribers. What tips can you get for people who want to produce quality videos online to maintain growth and popularity? It looks simple, but I'm guessing that there's a lot of work involved behind the scenes. Uh, I'm not really sure. But before I started the channel, I used to read a lot about YouTube and how it works. And I have to say my, my only goal was that I find something that is going to force me to study chess every day. So I took that approach and I didn't really consider too many things apart from that. So I wanted to create a channel because that would make me work on my chess every day, be it a new opening or whatever. And I think it takes dedication and love for the topic which you are covering. Obviously, if I were doing a channel about shoes, I, I would be unsuccessful and I couldn't do it. So you need to find the niche which you won't be upset about working on every day for five hours. And that would be my number one tip. If you find something that you like and you do a video a day, then you're going to be successful regardless of everything else. And I, you, and you, is that your goal? One video per day? Yeah. Yeah. I, sometimes I, I really can't manage because of my work and everything else, but yeah, in general, I want to do one, one video a day. Yeah. And you're, you're spending a couple hours a day to, to produce them. It will take me between three and five hours to, wow. to make a video, depending on how long it takes me to prepare for, for the topic. That's, in, that's incredible. And, um, and I, I really like the thumbnails that you do. How did you, um, how did you come up with the design for, for your thumbnails? Oh, yeah. Before I started the channel, I, I just hated that everybody has a chessboard and some ra random pictures <laughs> right. in one place. Uh, thumbnails. I wanted to do something different. And my parents had bought me uh, a chess set uh, from the house of Staunton and, and a U.S. shop. Anyway, they ordered the chess set when I uh, finished college and I have a beautiful Reykjavik set. So I wanted to do something with real pieces and I didn't really want to uh, do photos of, of a real board because I thought it would be too clustered and uh, you couldn't really tell. So I chose a white background and uh, took photos of pieces in the exact position which I'm covering in the video and after that, after about a few months, they stopped being disgusting and <laughs> I, and yeah. That's, that's basically the idea. I wanted to take photos of my pieces on a white board and then just add stuff accordingly, depending on the topic. Yeah, the, And they wanted it to be different than, than anything else that was out there. Yeah, and, and I'm not a YouTube expert by any means, as anyone who listens to this podcast on YouTube can attest, um, because I... you. You know, this is audio only and I just have limited bandwidth, but I have gathered from from watching a few YouTube videos here and there that, that stuff like the thumbnails and what you put in the titles is, is super important. Well, yeah, I mean, you need to entice people to click on your video, obviously. And even though this is sort of a fanatic niche and when people like chess, they like chess and it won't really be important whether the video is good quality, the audio is good quality or whether the thumbnail is ugly or, or nice, but... You still need to entice the people that know, don't know about chess and don't know about your channel either. So if you're fighting for, for a click against somebody else, then you might as well have any advantage you could get. Okay. And uh, just out of curiosity, are there any for anyone thinking of starting a YouTube channel and competing with you, <laughs> would you dare give any recommendations um, like uh, in terms of uh, things that you were helpful to you and guiding you of uh, how to start a uh, successful channel? Uh, if you mean resources, uh, there are a couple of YouTube channels, uh, which helped me. There's one called, 
YouTube creators, video creators, there's a guy called Tim, I don't remember the last name. He basically covers all the technical stuff you, you need to know, and apart from that, nothing really. I, I try to uh, approach a YouTube channel same as I approach everything else, and I created a plan and everything, and I schedule stuff, so that, that's the most helpful thing. You need to set aside time every day and be ready to... Be ready to commit yourself to doing it for five years at least, and that's it. All the technical stuff you can grasp within a day, and you will learn by doing. And my my number my only tip would be that you start and you just record the video. If you listen to the ver- first video I published, my microphone actually didn't work. The audio is really low, and I read from a. I, I had notes and I read and you can hear that I'm reading so it, the video is horrible but I still right. put it out and I think that the only way to improve is to actually make mistakes and get past them yeah that, that makes sense as with chess um, so what's your what's your goal for the YouTube channel if there is one uh, well I, I don't have a goal subscriber wise and anything else wise I, I basically want to cover every single opening and every single single variation I still have around 200 videos to go in that area I want to cover all the major middle game topics and then after I've done one of these whichever is done first I'm going to start an end game series and I want to analyze and cover all the major end game uh, positions and I want to build a library for the beginner to intermediate player and so that everybody can find whatever it is they're looking for and I want to well, I, I don't know about you or anybody else, but I, I like series, and once I find something I like, I want to have uh, that applied to some other topic. So I thought it would be helpful to have everything in one spot and not have to browse around YouTube for, for a day to find something you like. So my goal is to finish an opening series, the middle game series, and the end game series, and to record my games online, because I I found it to be very helpful when I lose and I analyze my game. Uh, it sort of makes me calmer and I'm not upset anymore. So my goal is to record my games and that will force me to analyze them To analyze them, and my goal is to make a library on YouTube. Yeah, that's it. Wow. I mean, that's uh, admirable and you're certainly off to a good start. But uh, I mean, I can't help but wonder... With with time being such a scarce resource, I mean, with, with you being spread so thin, um, do you like? Do you have? Is it hard sometimes for you to put in the work on the YouTube video when when I mean, forget all the other stuff you could be doing in life, but you could just be studying chess for those hours instead of creating content. Yeah, but the other thing is that if I ever want to have ten hours uh, every day to study chess, I'm going to need to have money and I'm going to need to quit my job so uh, this is just a means to an end when you when you think about it and I I started the YouTube channel because I wanted to help people and I wanted to improve my chess but I also found it to be a possible solution to my problem and basically uh, the YouTube channel could be something that improves my chess uh, along with creating a passive income which could enable me to study chess the whole day so I, I'm. I. It's always hard. I mean, it's always hard after a long day to to record the video. But when I remember that I might just play chess every day, whole day, not have to worry about money and not have to do anything else, then it gives me the the strength I need to continue. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. Well. Well. Good for you. I mean, you're you're putting in the work. So hopefully, you you get the eyeballs that 
that you deserve with that. I mean, and, and you're putting out a high quality product. Um, so do you, and do you have ambitions to, uh, if you were to someday be able to, to quit your job, do you have ambitions to, to do lessons, whether now or like when you're stronger or, um, do you, are you more focused on the chess and the content creation? Do you mean do like teaching, to- teaching one-on-one stuff like that? Like, I mean, uh-huh. for for example, if a listener wanted lessons from you now, first of all, would you be interested? And or or one of your YouTube viewers, obviously, I'm sure you've gotten inquiries. And and number two, is that something that's sort of in your business plan, or or is that not your fa- is teaching one on one not your favorite aspect of chess? Well, I I think I would like to do it, but if I didn't do it for money, because first of all, I really don't have time to commit to any schedule, and I I can't really do that. And secondly, uh it's not really the most important thing I can do because even though teaching somebody else will help you improve yourself, I, I think it would be much more valuable to for me to pay for my own lessons and to, to do that. And I doubt that I will ever uh, train other people. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, just one or two more questions, Stiep. And one is, of course, I have to, I mean, I have to just uh, throw it out there that, that, this would be totally unprecedented if you could pull off uh, becoming a grandmaster. Do you do you find the that being that vocal about a goal that lofty? Do you find that daunting? Uh, well, I I might be overconfident, but uh, I think that being scared about what you want will only make you weaker. And even though m- most people, especially in in Croatia, people I've met when I started playing chess didn't really take me serious. They don't still. I, I think that I can do it. And regardless of what everybody else thinks, it, it won't really influence the way I'm progressing. And I think that if a child can become a grandmaster between the ages of 5 and 12, then why couldn't I between the ages of 26 and 35? I really don't see a problem with that. That's um, That's interesting. I mean... It would be it would be chess history if you pull it off. I mean, and and it does sound like if someone were going to do it, they would need to have an approach similar to yours. I mean, short of obviously, if there's you know someone who just doesn't work, which you know obviously a few people are in that position where they don't have to work. Obviously, that would be a huge leg up. But short of that, I think it definitely um, requires the the systematic approach that you're taking. So I'm definitely rooting for you. I mean, I thank you, Ben. I, I have to say, I'm just going to be honest. I mean, I. I'd be amazed if you could pull it off. I would be surprised, but that doesn't mean that that uh, that doesn't mean that the journey isn't worth pursuing. And of course, I could be proven wrong. Yeah, I, I well, nobody can really say for sure, and it's going to be hard, and nobody knows how how much effort or time it would take. But I'm not going to quit, and that's the only thing I I care about. And yeah, and of course, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no problem. Yeah, I, I was just going to say knowledge is its own reward. And uh, I mean, what you've the, the strides you've made already are impressive. And, you know, any title, uh, be it be it Canada Master, FIDE Master, International Master. I mean, you're the they're all they're all admirable and they're all not easy to pull off when when you're starting from scratch as a working adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Well, I think we're basically done, Siep. And um, do you, I mean, often at the end, I'll ask what, what else people do in their free time, but I'm not sure if you have any. So <laughs> uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like you're, uh, you're, you're hitting the bars and the clubs very often based on your no, schedule. I cook. That's, that's, I think that's my only hobby. Uh, I, I enjoy cooking and I cook for my friends and family and everybody. So yeah, that, that's the only thing I do. Yeah. Well, yeah, one time, time what do you cook Croatian food or food from all nationalities? What are your, what are your specialties? I, I actually got uh, a set of 10 different cookbooks and I brought it to my office and I told people that you, you could choose a thing I'm going to cook for lunch the next day. So I cook everything, whatever they choose. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Um, yeah. Cool. Was there anything else? Uh, I mean, we'll get your contact info in a second and uh, link to your channel, obviously. But is there anything else you want to say before I uh, let you get back to your busy life? No, I just want to say thank you for having having me. It's been great, and it's an honor to have you ask me to to join your podcast. And I hope you you your podcast grows as well, and that you build an even bigger audience. I think what you're doing is extremely helpful to to all uh, level levels of chess players. And keep up the great work. Uh, likewise, you. likewise. I mean, your your videos are are great, and and your your approach is inspiring. So. Um, so yeah, and contact information. So I'll link to your YouTube channel. Um, and your email address is on the channel. So do you yeah. mind, do you mind if I put that in, um, in the show description? You, you can put it. It's, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. And you're not on social media or anything, are you? I've, I've actually created uh, social media accounts when I started my channel. I didn't really do anything on there because I have no idea how to. And uh, about a week ago, I started posting stuff there. And now I have an Instagram account with two posts. And I have a Twitter account where I basically link my videos. I'm going to have to stop doing that. And I've created a Facebook page, which I don't think anybody can see. So... If people want, they could join me there, but the, I'm going to try and figure out how they work and post some content. Okay. Well, this comes out in a week, so you've got a week to decide if you want me to link to those. And <laughs> you, you just let me know. Um, but, but yeah, thanks again. This was a lot of fun, and in a, in a couple of years, it'd be fun if you, you know, I have a feeling you still will be at it, so maybe we can get an update uh, and, and, and see sure. how you're doing. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. That includes my producer, Matthew Passy, and Geert Vandervelt for supplying the intro music. I also want to thank all of you who have helped spread the word about the show. That includes people who tell your friends and write positive reviews on Apple Podcasts or other platforms. Every little bit helps. But most of all, I want to thank the people who provide financial support. As you guys have heard me say, I spend a lot of time on this show, about five hours a week, and even though it's my favorite aspect of the work that I do, I would not be able to do all this without financial support. So most of all, I want to thank my Patreon and PayPal perpetual partners. They are Chessable.com, Ace Vallega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adam Vrancourge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Benjamin Handelman, Brian Castro of BetterChessTraining.com, Bill Moran, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, I am Carlos Perdomo of ChessAtlanta.com, Chad Hilton, Chad Oliver, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Woods, I am Christoph Zalicki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Daniel Vine-E, David Cramley, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am Alec Donnie Ariel. Frank Tortoris, MD, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, 
I am Greg Shahadi, Harish Srinivasan, GM Jakob Ogar, James Bonastia, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jennifer Valens of OffTheRook.com, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jernigan, WGM Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovrutsky, Krishna Gopalakrishnan, Laura Bajowski, Lucio Casada Silva, Matthew Passi, Martin Habich, Matthew Tedesco, The Mysterious Moonmaster 9000, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Nate Salon, Nathan Webster, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Quality Chess Books, Randall Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchek of DiplomatChess.com, Robert Steiner, Ryan Stone, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Steiner Lima, The Law Offices of Stuart Katz, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Thomas Casper, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancouz, FM Zhao Cheng, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Wow, the list is getting long. Let's keep getting it longer, guys. Thanks a lot, and I'll catch you all next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.